a gun in the face. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. Started two years of horror for an American in Venezuela. They said, you need to give us your phone and get ready because you're coming with us. I'm Becky Bruce, and I spent a year researching and piecing together Josh and Tammy Holt's story about their ordeal in a notorious prison. That's when everything started to turn bad. We had another pound on the door. Boom, boom, boom. And there was the police once again. You can binge all of the episodes of Hope in Darkness on kslpodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Inside Sources. Inside Sources with Boyd Matheson. Well, getting voters to flip is always a challenge. Political consultants and candidates always seem to think it's easy, it's going to happen, it will be the game changer of all game changers. Currently, it's the Republicans who are licking their chops a little bit, thinking maybe they can flip a few things, uh, especially when it comes to minority voters. Uh, they're certainly optimistic with uh, President Biden's favorability numbers having fallen sharply recently among black and Latino voters. Uh, much of that, I think, tied directly to inflation. But Again, it's getting those traditional Democrat constituencies to flip uh, is never as easy as anybody thinks. And uh, to help us break this down uh, across the spectrum, Sarah Isker is a staff writer for The Dispatch and an ABC News analyst, joins us on the line. Great piece in The Dispatch as always. Sarah, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Hey, so let's dive in. Uh, Give us some of the the breakdown of the numbers first. Uh, Where are we? What does it mean for President Biden? Where is the opportunity that Republicans are looking at here in 2022? So let's just look at black voters for a moment. Biden won black voters by less than 80 points, the weakest margin for a Democratic presidential nominee since 1996. Uh, You know, compare that to Hillary Clinton, obviously Barack Obama, uh, even Al Gore, uh, John Kerry. So Biden already starting very low. What's interesting is that in the year that he's been in office, his numbers with black voters, his approval ratings have dropped by 20 points. 87 percent approved at the beginning of his presidency, now down to 67 percent. That's fascinating, A, because it's incredibly low, but also because it provides an opportunity, not necessarily to see a wholesale shift, obviously, of one demographic of voters over to Republicans, but because it means the Democrats will have to work harder to get those folks to show up and vote and the republicans may see an opportunity to pick off some voters at the margin yeah i think that's always interesting is uh anytime you have a a a block um you got to work on it you got to make sure that's uh that's being taken care of got to kind of protect the home front uh and so if if they have to invest time and resources and energy there then that means they're not having time to do other things uh what are some of the other things that the numbers are telling you sarah Well, the three groups that Joe Biden is flagging the most with since his election, young voters, Latino voters, and again, black voters. Uh, In some ways, the numbers with Latino voters and young voters should be more concerning for Democrats. Latino voters is not just based on exit polls, but in fact, seeing wholesale shifts in states like Texas and Florida away from the Democratic Party, a group that the Democrats were really counting on not just in any given election cycle, but over the course of the party for decades, as that number grew within the country, they thought their share of the electorate would grow with that. Black and Latino voters also 
culturally on social issues uh, that come up in politics are to the right of the median white Democratic voter now, which is a huge problem for the Democratic Party uh, to have that break where their white voters are much more progressive, much more likely to identify with the progressive left than their voters of color, a real fracture within the party that, as you said, takes time and effort to mend when you're not out there getting other voters. Uh, Young voters are very likely to be energized by this conversation around abortion, which is interesting. Mm -hmm. Black and Latino voters far less likely. Uh, And again, it doesn't mean that those people are then going to vote Republican. What it could mean, though, is that they stay home in 2022. And that would be a disaster for the Democratic Party. Yeah. uh, One of the things I love that you pointed out in in your piece, Sarah, is uh, this idea of, of one, getting someone to show up rather than stay home. So turnout is one big thing. But then you also talk about just how how valuable it is to actually get someone to switch parties. Break that down for us. Right. So getting someone to turn out who was otherwise going to stay home is worth one point. Literally, right? It's one vote. But if you get someone who had been voting for the other guy to vote for you, that's actually two points. You deprive that team of one vote and you get one vote. So it's a two-point shift that we see whenever anyone switches parties. And so obviously that's the holy grail for political parties. It's why we think of politics as being an exercise in persuasion. But in the last 20 years, both parties sort of decided to stop playing persuasion and start playing the small ball turnout game. And it's why you see so much political messaging that frustrates people because it's actually just toward the quote unquote, the base, the people who already agree with you already want to vote for you. And it's just a question of whether they'll bother to show up. Um, But in 2020, we saw a healthy number of people actually change their vote. Uh, People who had voted for Barack Obama twice, moving over to Trump, um, people who voted for Trump, moving over to Biden. And And so the party is now much more open to the possibility of that two-point shot, which could change things a lot in 2022. Yeah, and it seems to me that both Republicans and Democrats have have sort of taken these groups just as monolithic blocks, whether it's the young people, whether it's Latino voters, whether it's black voters. uh, And there is so much uh, diversity within those in terms of what really matters to them uh, that is going to get them to either show up and vote or to flip a party or or the way they have voted previously. Uh, So what's the real strategy? And is the strategy changing or are we just going to see, as you pointed out, uh, are we just going to see more of the same playing to the base, hoping they all show up? Well, it's where the abortion conversation is interesting because for 50 years, it's been a top culture war, both sides um, talking more and more just to their base voters, the most pro-life voters, the most pro-choice voters, when in fact, the vast majority of Americans believe that abortion should be legal in some cases and illegal in some cases. And so now that Roe might be off the table and it's not just talk, but there actually can be legislation put in place, it'll be very interesting to see if these elected folks start learning a new language that's less about base politics and more about actually having to get stuff done. And I'll be very interested in particular to look at those 20 states that don't have a law on the books already. So a dozen or so states have a law basically codifying Roe. So even if Roe goes away, abortion will be protected in those states. Another dozen or so states have uh, so-called trigger laws. If Roe goes away, they will make abortion uh, largely illegal in those states. But 20 states don't have anything at all, meaning they'll need something in place moving forward. Those states happen to line up very nicely with the top tier Senate races, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, North Carolina, Arizona. None of them have laws on the books. And that's where 
in theory, you should actually see politicians want to have a popular stance, one that appeals to the most number of voters who, again, believe in something in the middle when it comes to the law, if not their own morality. Yeah, that's such uh, that's such great perspective, Sarah. And uh, uh, as I talk to both the uh, Democratic and Republican strategists across the country, uh, they both have this same mantra. The Democrats will say, you know, never underestimate the Democrats' ability to, you know, grasp defeat from the jaws of victory. And the Republican <laughs> strategists say, never underestimate the Republican Party's ability to snatch defeat from the jaws of victory. Uh, so the consulting class seems to be a little skeptical that either are going to be able to go beyond what they've done in the past. Uh, anything else you're watching for or that we should watch for in the coming months uh, to see if either side uh, actually changes the dynamic, uh, which could ultimately change the elections? Well, and maybe I'm just showing my own bias here, but I happen to think Republicans have a real stranglehold on losing winnable races. <laughs> uh, look at Todd Aiken, uh, yes. who was the Missouri Republican candidate in a bright red state and instead they elected a democrat and then of course alabama they elected a democratic senator in alabama because republicans actually nominated someone so unelectable in a state that votes you know 70 plus percent for a democrat or a republican for president so if you factor that in i'm looking again at missouri that primary you've got a candidate who's been you know accused of sexual assault abuse etc um in his state Pennsylvania, not quite as dramatic, but the candidate who Trump had endorsed, who's now dropped out of the race, was also accused of misconduct by his ex-wife. So Republicans do seem to have a knack for nominating unelectable people. So definitely still watching those primaries because even winnable states can become unwinnable real quick. Uh, fantastic insight as always Sarah Isger, staff writer for the Dispatch our friends over there and an ABC News analyst. Uh, Sarah, always appreciate your insight. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you. All right, we'll step aside for a quick commercial break. Uh, Coming up, Bill Marriott is stepping down from his position as CEO of Marriott International after a very long tenor. Uh, Has some great insight and some great life lessons. Stay with us. We'll have more of that coming up next. Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. There's desperation and anguish. More than 80,000 Afghans have since arrived in America. But this story is still unfolding. I'm Andrea Smartin. In my new podcast, Stranger Becomes Neighbor, we'll find out what happens to these new arrivals in our communities. Who would help our newest neighbors? Follow us at kslpodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen.